He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 30, 2023. One of my favorites, Marshall Zellinger, is in the house. Why do I like this guy? I don't know. It's kind of in the blood. He's a native, so am I. He goes to Shoal on the high holidays, so do I. In fact, no Craig's Colorado Corner because of Sukkot. Gosh, these high holidays come Fast and furious, but Marshall Zellinger and I talk a lot about politics. He is the politics reporter for Channel 9. He's excellent. He was at Channel 7 before that, grew up in Aurora. And we talk about the Morphew case. We talk about Bobert, Buck, the Colorado GOP. It's just really good stuff. You know, every week is great with Dave Gunders. He gives us this week a song called Have Mercy. Have mercy on poor Suzanne Morphew. She was murdered. I hope her body discovered in Swash County yields the necessary clues to bring out the truth. That's the key to bring out the truth. Dave Gunders is the truth, as you will hear with his song, Have Mercy. I bring you the truth about Donald J. Trump and the menace he represents and the fact that people won't stand up to him sufficiently. In fact, they'd cheer him on within the Republican Party. And you can't be part of the Republican Party anymore, even in California, without being part of this cult where the guy says ridiculous things and you need to clap along. I like to be up to date Friday afternoon in Anaheim. Donald Trump gave this speech and listen to the response, which is almost as disturbing as the words that are spoken. First and foremost, Donald Trump does describe this as the most important election ever, which it is for him and for us because his survival depends on it, his freedom, and probably so do a lot of other people. He's promised retribution, retaliation, I will be your vengeance. That means critics will have to make a big choice when he's reelected, God forbid. That's the essence of this podcast. That's why I get pissed at former friends and former places I worked who won't stand up to Donald Trump. He's an existential threat. Joe Biden has his problems, but it's apples to watermelons. Come on now. Don't take my word for it. Donald Trump should have been charged on January 6, 2021, that day. But there was delay, and of course, Trump uses that for his benefit. He declares early in his only defense, all 91 counts, all four indictments, five if you count the superseding, they are all election interference. And he keeps it going, but at another level, and oh my God, I bet you in the history of America, There's never been a president who uses the MF word. We are going to play it. 
And I have an R-rated show, but I don't like to say the MF word. But Donald Trump said it to the California GOP in Anaheim on September 29, 2023. And you don't like somebody or if somebody's beating you by 10, 15 or 20 points like we're doing with crooked Joe Biden. Let's indict the motherfucker. Let's indict <laughs> Man, how disturbing is that? Seriously. And then they go along with his claims that everybody's cheating except him, the biggest cheater in the world. Read Rick Riley's book. Rick Riley, my episode four, Tree Chopping, Commander-in-Cheat, the book he wrote about how he wins by cheating in golf and by intimidating the club pro to awarding the crown. Now he's out in California saying, not only did I get cheated in those swing states, I really win in California if the system's not rigged. You have to hear it to believe it. And once again, it's the reaction that so bothers him. But we're not going to lose by five. We're going to win. We would win. I don't believe it when they say it, but the state is rigged. It's a rigged election. It's a horrible thing, and we have to turn it back. This is a state that the right Republican can win, and I think actually win easily. That all you have to do is you look at, go outside and look at what's going on in the streets outside, and it's with love, too, tremendous love. There's not a lot of people. There's no people that are negative, actually. No way we lose this state in a real election. If this was a real election, there's no way. If we had a real election with the real polling booths, if you had real polling, you don't have any polling booths. You have people signing something, dropping it in a mail, then who the hell knows what happens after that? It's ridiculous. But if we had polling booths, same-day voting, voter ID, and no mail-in ballots other than for those who are legitimately very sick or in faraway Military, we would win this state by a lot. And I don't know why more people aren't bringing that up and talking about it. Now we get something that I really don't like. I don't like, in fact, I despise people disparaging crime victims. It's interesting that I've been having a little back and forth about what's appropriate for these radio hosts. They think silence is enough. No, it's not enough, especially if you're a former prosecutor like George Brockler or Ken Buck. When Paul Pelosi, an 82-year-old victim of a home invasion, gets hit in the head by a crazy guy inspired by Trump, hit in the head with a hammer, and you're going to make fun of him? And I have heard some hosts make fun of him and engage in conspiracy theories. But the worst is Donald Trump and any decent ex-prosecutor would say something about this. I was in a, a prosecutor, not the elected DA, just a chief deputy. I did it for 16 years, proud of it, put my record up against any of these guys. And one of the things we learned in Dale Tooley and Norm Early's office is the following. You don't disparage crime victims. You help crime victims. Listen to this scum-of-the-earth comment by Donald J. Trump and the reaction it gets from the cult members in California. 
and will stand up to crazy Nancy Pelosi who ruined San Francisco. How's her husband doing, by the way? Anybody know? And she's against building a wall at our border, even though she has a wall around her house, which obviously didn't do a very good job. Sad sick stuff. You have to hear it to believe it and to get activated to fight against it. I'll never go along with that kind of crap. And the dude's crazy. Everything's a conspiracy theory. Now, you know, the West, we have plenty of water. It's just that, I don't know, George Soros or somebody is making a pour out into the Pacific instead of giving enough water so Donald Trump can take a good shower because his hair needs all the attention. He said stuff like that. I won't play it all, but I'll give you a snippet, a dripping of it where he says, if we would really take this water up north, I guess Northern California, Montana, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, if we would just let it flow down the map, you got to hear this to believe it. All the currently dry canals will be brimming and used to irrigate everything, including your own homes and bathrooms and everything. You're going to be happy, and I'm going to get it done fast. They say that there's so much water up north that I want to have the overflow areas go into your forests and dampen your forests because if you dampen your forests, you're not going to have these forest fires that are burning at levels that nobody's ever seen before. Wow, what a drip. This guy is so dumb. Yet most remaining Republicans go along with it. I admire a guy like Adam Kinzinger. Now, there's a military guy who stood up for principles Liz Cheney, too, but Kinziger has it right. You can't blame the people who live, I don't know, uneducated, a no-hope town. Inflation's killing them. They don't know what's going on. So they turn on the radio, and they listen to conservative thought leaders who say, hey, whatever you think of Trump, uh, Biden's worse. You got to vote for Trump, don't you know? can't stand that. Kinzinger holds people like that responsible. The George Brocklers of the world, the Dan Kaplises. It's just horrible that these thought leaders in the Colorado area would go along with that. And Kaplis pays for his show, and then he pays for Brockler to come on. He pays for Boyles to keep his mouth shut. KNUS getting its ass sued off. They all treat Randy Corcoran like he's royalty when he is one of the most corrupt MAGA guys around, they can have those friends. I'm going to call them out. This show's going to call them out. And we're going to get all sides on, but no MAGA propaganda. Marshall Zellinger is so great, and he covers DA racism. We talk about stuff like that. You know, George Brockler spends his show going after Phil Weiser, who not only beat Brockler bad, but then beat... Brockler's hand-picked John Kellner. And yet he continues to pound on Phil Weiser and Jared Polis. And you have to say, what's going on there? Is that just part of the MAGA brand or is it something more personal? Is it white Christian nationalism? Do those guys not fit in because they're not Christian? What about Jared Polis because he's gay too? 
I've worked with a lot of people on the radio. I never really worked with anybody as openly homophobic as George Brockler. So is that what's driving this? I don't know what the appeal of the GOP can be right now, but it's not good. And the Republican Party will allow Donald Trump to go to town against guys like Phil Weiser. Is that what George Brockler wants? It appears so from his daily pounding on Phil Weiser and listen to Donald Trump do the same thing to the Anaheim GOP. Sure, I will direct a completely overhauled DOJ to investigate every radical DA and AG in America for their illegal, racist, and reverse enforcement of the law. And we will start with the Marxist monsters unleashing mayhem on Los Angeles and San Francisco. It sounds like the Klan to me. I study history. I have on authors. And I will continue to put on great shows and educate myself. This is how the mob, like the Klan, moves in. Hey, you got a crime problem? We'll fix it for you. What do we want in return? Well, we'll tell you later. But it's fascism. It's awful. And again, I expect prosecutors to stand up. And let's hear if Ken Buck will say anything about the latest from Donald Trump saying that people who steal stuff from the stores should be shot, shot on sight. Now, that goes against existing U.S. Supreme Court precedent and against the good common sense the Lord gave most of us because we value life more than property. Now, if you are in danger, that's a different subject. But Donald Trump is trying to one-up Ron DeSantis, who said, shoot him dead at the border. Now it's shoot him dead if they're committing any kind of retail theft. Listen to this. When they're there, they'll knock the hell out of you and kill you in some cases. And we will immediately stop all of the pillaging and theft. Very simply, if you rob a store, you can fully expect to be shot as you are leaving that store. Shot. Now listen to that reaction. Now listen to see if anybody on the radio, on Denver Trump radio, will condemn that or play these sound bites. Or speak frankly about the menace that Donald Trump represents. That's what's behind this podcast. I think we are the mainstream. I don't think that you can possibly say, well, let's debate this. Should we shoot people or not? Is that a legitimate debate? It's not under the law. There's a rule of law in America. And how is Donald Trump going to change it? He's going to be in charge of what happens in Los Angeles or San Francisco or Denver? Is that what it's going to come to? Is that what uh, conservatives want? I don't think the country wants this. If America wants this, then a lot of us don't want America. But I think that a real election will just show that this is extremism. Most Americans are good. Most Americans say, wait, we have a justice system. We can't have a king ordering people executed by being shot. Same guy who's talking about retribution. It takes courage to speak up. 
A lot of us would rather do other things. Once Meg is defeated, I'll gladly go off into the sunset. I'll keep writing for the Colorado Sun. I hope you do check out my latest about Paul Simon, his prayerful seven psalms guiding me through this high holiday season. I sure appreciate my association with the Colorado Sun. Spent all Friday at the Colorado Sun Fest. Listen to Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper, sadly stuck in D.C. because of the government shutdown being perpetrated by the likes of Boebert and the Republicans just because they want to make trouble and defend Trump, defund everything, and yet guys like Brockler and Buck won't speak out. Capless, he's gone. He's I don't know what's up with him. The cult, it's awful what's going on in America, and it's all led by MAGA. What's not awful is Marshall Zellinger. Marshall Zellinger gives you the straight news on Colorado's best evening newscast. By the way, Jared Polis was there, Marshall Zellinger at the Sunfest. Marshall Zellinger and I speak a lot about the governor because Marshall and Kyle, they give the governor grief more than anybody. They are equal in their criticism. That's what separates them from the people who don't like them on conservative radio because they cover what's going on with Meg and Tina Peters and Lauren Boebert. And oh my goodness, Marshall Zellinger, he got that footage of Lauren Boebert. Hear all about it. That's what you do. How do we handle, and Kyle Clark had a great commentary on this. How do we handle Boebert? How do we handle Trump? Like, are there two sides to those sound bites I've been playing? No, especially with that denigration of Paul Pelosi. Never. I can't stand that. I'm a happy person. I like to have fun. I'm sorry to see what's become of the places I used to work, and this country needs to be rescued from MAGA. And that's my prayer as we enter into Sukkot. Craig's Colorado Corner will continue to cover the biggest trials of our time, the Trump trials and tribulations. I put together a great panel, and I have Republicans, Democrats, just no MAGA propaganda because that's what's wrecking the country. What's making the country better? Marshall Zellinger. Before Marshall, give a listen to Dave Gunders, because we had quite the Yom Kippur. I'm not ready to give up that spirit. It's still autumn in Colorado, the best time of the year. Let's continue to save America. Let's talk about it. Let's have fun in the process. Dave Gunders with Have Mercy, followed by the one and only Marshall Zellinger with a tremendous interview. We talked about CU, Prime, and whether Nine News should try to stomp the opponents like Miami beat the Broncos. Almost said Oregon beat the Buffs, but the Buffs had a little fight in them at the end, and it wasn't a record. Anyway, we touch all the bases with Marshall Zellinger and Dave Gunders, and thanks for listening. Tell a friend, please subscribe, share, five stars, on Apple. Thank you. Enjoy. 
gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. I am Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Troubadour, my dogs get so excited, Skylar asked to get a bone. So I want to explain the noise behind you. I'm waiting. For him to make the noise? For you, you for your explanation, Craig. Of why my dog chews his bone when you're around? Because he can. Oh, don't get dirty on me. That's just the kind of thing I do with Marshall Zellinger in a great interview with... The star at Channel 9, you know, the Jewish guy with glasses yes, and a, and a tie with a tie clip? I mean, I never thought of him as the Jewish guy, but yeah. He's a proud Jewish guy. Zellinger, what did you think? That's great. I'm not sure I thought. Well, he displays it. He talks about it. His late dog was named Kosher. That's a giveaway. I saw him at Shul on Rosh Hashanah oh, with his at, daughter. At Sinai? That's great. No. At HEA. You and I missed our, our you and I missed our annual I pilgrimage. Know. But because... you know, I go to Temple Sinai, then I go to the Alliance, and you're a Temple Emmanuel boy. Have you described your trip to your listeners? No, I've been waiting for you. I'm Tell here. everybody about your Yom Kippur I was very... five seven eight four we, experience. We love Temple Emmanuel. Why? Rabbi, Chief Rabbi Joe Black and what he's done there. He's so good they made him a chief. Musically, spiritually, the whole place is very welcoming for a lot of for anybody, right? And um, do you need some, a ticket to get it? You know what? You're supposed to have a ticket, but they didn't give us any. Uh, I've walked in both times without even showing a ticket. And how did it feel in terms of being crowded? Was it? No, it was kind of the maybe the three quarters full that you mm. had described. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, there was a young woman who went there and she goes, I have no ticket. Can I buy a ticket? And they were like, you don't need to buy a ticket. Just go on in. That's cool. Very cool. That's what happened to me in Sedona. Yeah. When I went for the NILA service after being in Flagstaff, Chabad, 
for the morning, no, for the uh, Kol Nidre service. Right. And they had a machitza separating men and women. I was sort of shocked in Flagstaff. I'm How in an orthodox shul. I mean, you went to four different shuls, right? Three. In, three? The quintessential five, wandering Jew. Five over the holidays, yes, I do wander. In this case, it's because they kick you well, out. Well, I met my son one. Ben down in uh, Flagstaff, so that's why I was down there, but... It's spiritual down there. Sedona, Flagstaff. It's oh, a good place to yeah. be on Yom Kippur. And yeah. actually, the service was beautiful and Cathedral Rock behind. Beautiful. All the houses of it worship. It is very are... spiritual. So there's something right. about Utah and, and the buttes and the distances. That's yeah. what's Arizona, but you're close. Oh, yes. okay. Utah, no, no, Arizona. I went to Utah right, too. Over. Park City, and I checked out their show, but I didn't go in. Anyway, it's just sort of interesting to see where they put these things. And I had three totally different experiences, and I learned some new symbolism and whatnot. Did you learn any new Yiddish for me? Well, nobody really speaks Yiddish, although I would say everywhere I'd say Kudyontav, right. which is really Yiddish. That's more Yiddish, And most it? people say Kudyontav back. I say that because my grandma said it. Right. Me too. It's not yeah. like I speak Yiddish. But we were in the Jewish news. Did you see this? I did. Again? No, no I did. you didn't. Did you read your, your article? No, did you read your name in it this week? Maybe not. Okay, anyway, I wrote about you and you how. Know, I'm in so many publications, I can't. Uh, yeah, I no, can't that was really... the Colorado Sun where I mentioned you. Okay. And did you like my Paul Simon column? I loved it. And thank you for letting me quote you. On the road, I said, can I quote you? Saying that Paul Simon was top role model, you know he's he's definitely a top role, <laughs> right? And that, oh, he is. I that, mean, that allowed I, me to have the line: "Who's going to be our role model when Paul Simon's gone?" Well, good point. I can't take no. That's uh, that's that's not something I can no. Those those footsteps I couldn't follow in. No, and let's hope he lives a long life. He just wrote a beautiful album, and you, I know you listened to it. Yeah, and that's what I wrote about. Yeah. Seven songs, yeah, you're so cool. in it. Superb He's... Colorado musician, Dave well, I Gunders. Know. Thank you. Stop flattering me. Well, you it's are. Not, Tell everybody about the big it. gig you had while I was gone. At, at Lincoln's, you rocked Pop that Mo house. and the Vipers, we played Lincoln's Roadhouse. That was so much fun. And, Why? Because um, they were spilling out into the street, well, right? You know, on to okay. I-25. All right. They were spilling over into I-25. They were dancing. It was a, a pretty good, strong. In fact, I went back to see to meet the owner, Jim Bob, yesterday, and he said everybody had a great time. They, the bar did well. Ultimately, for a bar owner, that's that's the that's, it. that's the bottom line. It's like, did did people drink? Did we make money? Um, right, but the, and that and when that happens, and they enjoy the music, then you're it's a successful night. And then you went to another spot and you sold your band for another gig. I like the way I'm you're always working. I'm starting to run around and do a little marketing for the vibe. And you know why? Because you guys are good. You well, have something they, to sell. Yeah. I love playing in the band, and I figure I got to do my part. So I dropped by a place, very interesting place. It's called Brew Ability. One word, Brew Ability. It's on South Broadway. Um, Little ten, and it's it's a brewery that employs people uh, with disabilities. I mean, it's like that's their main thing. There were flags on the side as I went, alluding to you know you know you're going to be served by people who may be a little slower or whatever. Please have patience and kindness. 
And, uh, but that's what the, the people do. I really need to talk to them more, but um, it's a really interesting idea. And I dropped in yesterday and she's given us a shot. She's given us a, a, a place Holy October 7th. I just don't know if the band can make it or not, but we're working on it. I that. remember when you played in Gold Hill, they introduced you guys as a band from Boulder. Well, that's okay. I mean, you know, a couple or of maybe us. Maybe you said that. Boulder, we're Denver. We're a band from Boulder. Front Range. Front Ranch. You got it all covered. You're trying to extend south. I can see it on Broadway. That's kind of cool. And your song, I feel a little pissed that you held it out on me because as good as When I Die was for Yom Kippur, it didn't happen. We didn't die then. That's and, good. And we made it through 5783, but we had to pray on Kol Nidre for, and Yom Kippur for mercy, right? course and you have a song called have mercy yes on the newest album right and it's really written in the style of your role model paul simon more than any song i can think of well, that's interesting i hadn't thought about that in what sense because you uh first of all it's like boy in the bubble for him you're always saying you eschew this supernatural science fiction type right. stuff right but you've got the devil and the angel talking to each other. Right. Yeah. Okay. In that, that way, it is like Paul Simon. He 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 brings those kinds of images together. Um, I but, guess he would. But then you put a girl in Brazil out of nowhere in a hundred degree heat. That's right. In That's about right. three lines, you say, "Well, what's going on in this world?" Well, but I I needed something to to. Uh, you know the the song is about the well. I guess it's you. You can look at it as the devil and 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 angels, well, or you can look you at say. it as as you know the dichotomy that is in each of each of us, right? right? Our ability to to do to do bad and to do evil, and our, our capacity for empathy and kindness, right? We all have that. Anyway, it's a struggle, and I have them walking side by side like brothers is how I describe them because I think it is even the the Bibles, even the the devil was originally was one of the angels, right? He was a brother angel, right? What was his name? I'm not an expert on all okay, of this. Okay, but yeah, he was a but, fallen angel, yes. the devil. And so the idea of these two brothers walking and the angels imploring him to come around, like let's, the earth has had enough, the world's had enough, people are having a hard time, let's let's try to fix some things. The devil's, he, he wants no part of it. But at the end, I felt it was important to kind of weigh towards the side of, of, mercy and kindness and how ultimately that will, you know, that will, will reign. Um, so I like that idea. It's beautiful. Your plant of whale, it's worthy of a canter. Have mercy. I mean, that's good. And then and, yeah, crying to God, it's like, why is there so much pain in the world now? Right? That's what yes. the angel, he, he, he looks up to the heavens and cries. Yeah. And then you bring out a flute. I did. I brought out my uh, penny whistle again. <laughs> and that's you. you. It a flute. It's like a it's like a three dollar uh you know instrument you can get at a folks at a music you know folk store. You know. That's just like you when you go down Broadway trying to sell the Vipers. Yeah. Not a hard sell. You're always selling. You got to blow your own horn. You got to blow bit. your own flute. A little bit. I said, just give us a chance. She asked how much we we would require. I didn't answer. I didn't answer because I told her I was like. We have day jobs. You know, why don't you just tell us what you can afford and let's see if we can give it a go, right? Not a hard sell. Right. Plus, you always have that tip basket where everybody's right. throwing in 50s and 100s, right. right? You particularly. Yes. Well, not everybody's like me. 
Anyway, you got to always be selling, blowing your own flute. I think you always have and to And that's be why in the Jewish news, it was nice of them to mention Let's it. Sell. And again, the eponymous. The yeah, eponymous. That's a good word. Yes. Not that I always use words correctly. Right. I remember once I prosecuted a perjury case and I got quoted in the Rocky Mountain News. And they asked, why are you bringing this perjury case? I said, because people in Denver should not be able to lie with impunity and, and get, get away, away with, with it. it. <laughs> well, that's just... Now my brother <laughs> laughed at me, right? It's, and uh, my brother loved that. I like that's a funny one. So I'm not that smart, but I did learn the word eponymous. So when they wrote about me getting in the GW Hall of Fame in the IJN, they somehow said that I had interviewed Bill Weimer. Oh. Which would be quite a trick because he's been dead for about two or three decades, my old coach. A guy like you? So I wanted to gently correct them, but also yeah. to maybe get some free advertising right. for our show. Yeah. So they headlined it, Eponymous Podcast. Right. Thank you for your generous report on my Denver George Washington High School Hall of Fame induction and my lively eponymous podcast. I've enjoyed terrific broadcast interviews with many public figures, including Kyle Clark, Governor Jared Polis, and Bill Walton. I sadly never had the pleasure of interviewing my legendary high school basketball coach, Bill Weimer, who passed away decades ago. On my recent episode, 167, I did get to share wonderful stories about Coach Weimer with fellow GW Hall of Famer Tom Asbury, who won a state basketball championship at GW in 1961 and went on to be a great college player and coach. On episode 170, our show troubadour, talented Denver mu musician Dave Gunders, talks about Rosh Hashanah and music. We discuss Yom Kippur on my episode 171. My podcast is very Jewish and proud to be so. <laughs> and look at us, episode 172. What can we do? It's part of who we are. You know, we're Jewish Americans. I'm worried about America a little bit. Did you see Trump? Well, you haven't talked enough with me. I, I, sometimes I see little snippets of his Did he totally said Mark Milley? He disparaged the, the judge, right? The judge. Yeah, but the, the, the outgoing head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. That I didn't see. Said that he should be hung for treason. Oh, wow. Isn't wow. that something? Along with Pence, right? Pretty much. Yeah, and nobody speaks up. In the Republican debate, nobody would talk about that. Did you watch and, it, Craig? No. No, I, I, I was interviewing Marshall Zellinger, which was just really good because it was horrible. I've seen the highlights. CNN said they just sniped at each other. And it's meaningless. It's meaningless. But Trump, he's losing all his assets. And uh, I'm telling you, push is going to come to shove in the courts. The wheels of justice grind slowly, but they grind the big thing is what will Judge Chutkin do? I talk about that on Craig's Colorado Corner Monday mornings. Right. The show that uses your theme music, Troubadour. Yes. But what did inspire you to write about the angel and the devil and have mercy? I don't think there was any particular event. Um, I think I wanted to sing Have Mercy. It sounded good to me on that song. Uh, so I came up with it. And then I thought, well, who would, who would cry that? Who would cry that? And then why? Right. So, and then the the idea of, of the angel and the devil walking, having conversation together, and uh, and the angel crying, have mercy. 
kind of came into bear. So I so I just made it up. Right. So you made up science fiction. So don't tell me you're not into futurism and science fiction and uh, as supernatural things happening. Right. It's, you know, it's an allegory, though. It's like I'm not saying that they're really doing it, but um, I did try to paint the picture of them actually, you know, brothers walking down the road, having this conversation. Mm -hmm. But talking to their father. Talking to their father. Yes. And in the, in the, there's this plaintive cry in the bridge. He says, oh, you know, he says, father, please tell me or whatever. Why? Why is my brother Lord of Evil and Hate? Is, is his is his cry and his question. A lot of people go to Sedona for that very reason. It makes you humble. I think that's a good part about religion. It humbles you and makes you think about these broader issues. Who do you want to win, the angel or the devil? And is it clear in your song? Yes, it is clear, if you listen to it all the way through. <laughs> I did, many times. Well, it's clear to me. To me, the angel will win out. The angel will win out. He comes to the girl. He, I say, and, the, and though the devil has gone, the angel climbs on. You know he's going to reach her. This is a, a right, to, right. Yeah, but yeah. does the devil get vanquished? Does the devil come no, back? No, he just left for the time being. Well, that's he's, what I'm saying. He'll be back. That's what I'm saying. And every time, will the angel vanquish his little brother, the devil, or I is wish, it big brother? I wish I could say. Are I, they twin brothers? We knew. I wish I could say. Sometimes that's not the case. No, there's a lot of people who suffer. You know, if you want to look at it that way, whether it's the devil or just you know bad fortune, there's a lot of people who, you know, they suffer and life is not just for them. They don't have a opportunity, you know, to live a full life. You know, it's like. Marshall Zellinger, you, because I've seen you with your daughters, and I probably didn't see you at Shoal when they were babies. I think we knew each other after that, but I imagine you got up to scurry out if they made a little noise, and it's so cute. You right. know, we've all been there. Yeah, sure. And that's yeah. what I like about Marshall, that he takes the day off, and he respects the religion, yeah. and he's proud of being a native. I just really enjoy Marshall Zellinger. To me, it's kind of cool to have a local guy broadcasting local news. When he talks about Aurora, he knows Aurora. Right. He grew up there. Well, I look forward to listening yeah, to the show. Well, everybody's looking forward to hearing Have Mercy by Dave Gunders. Thank you, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig. devil were walking, brothers talking shoulder to shoulder. Angel said, we've got to mend this rift, let's do it swift, we're both getting older. Devil said, bro, we got no common ground, when you see me around, you know there'll be trouble. To see, it's like the air I breathe, the heat to burst your bubble. He just threw his head back to the sky. Have mercy. Have mercy. 
suffered enough in the fires and floods of worlds in a quandary. I can tell they brought it on themselves, and it ain't my job to do their dirty laundry. Who let you out to ply your trades of mischief evil? Devil said, Bro, I got to go. So many lost souls needing retrieval. And he just cried out, Father, why'd you make my brother Lord of evil and hate? Picking through the mountain landfill Seven a.m. and it's a hundred degrees I see her picture here in the magazine And where's the chance she'll make it out She can't read or write I know because he's my lawyer. He's Michael Bailey. I think you pioneered this mobile estate planning and lots of lawyers are doing it now. And boy, are your clients happy and satisfied. It's convenient for the client. It certainly is fun to be able to go and visit people where they are, whether it's at your house or at one of the offices, just to make it more convenient for you. And then it's more fun for me because I get to go out and about and meet people all over the place and help them out. What's the website, Michael? It is mobileestateplanning.com. What's the best phone number to call? 720-394-6887 is my direct line. Michael Bailey, that's our lawyer. Trish loves him. I do too. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Craig. Craig. 
Hey everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156, 303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years. And I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Hey, Marshall. Hello. How did it go putting your baby down? Well, I was a minute late to you because we were still singing, singing, and getting back, getting into the crib. Is she too old for me to call her a baby? I don't. This is. I think so. Because, well, I don't know. Baby's a catch-all. She's she's a, definitely a toddler, but she's one and she's one month or sorry, one year and uh, almost uh, but three and a half weeks. And was she walking the other day when I saw her at the synagogue? Oh, yeah. She was on her own. But you were carrying her, too. You weren't just letting her go wherever she wanted. Oh, I did in the hallway, for sure. Well, that's when I was in praying for my salvation. And so far, it's worked. And for you, too. Oh, thank you. Thanks for doing my podcast. Yeah. I kind of know you, and I feel like uh, I remember when you were single, and then I remember when you were dating a young lady at the landmark remember we met you there and it seemed like that was the special one and it happened right and now you're married and a daddy what's it like um it's so yeah that was uh i was at my high school reunion five years ago my 20th high school reunion and you saw my now wife then girlfriend um at that event uh when we saw you at the landmark it is great being a dad is it's the it, I I say it's the best and the worst year of my life because it is so many great things with so many fearful things that I had never thought about but only seen from afar. Right, but you see it at your workplace, and I had Jeremy Hohola on. I don't know uh, one of my first ten podcasts. Kyle was episode one hundred. Chris Vanderveen, and now you. And it seems to me that a lot of the People who work there have done this father thing and even are kind of going through it in similar stages. Jeremy, Kyle, you guys all have baby daughters. There's got to be some collective wisdom there. Oh, we have um, a, actually none of them, interestingly, are on this chat that I'm part of. We, we had a story that aired on Mother's Day and again on Father's Day, a different version of, I, I lose track, six or seven babies within uh from july to november what is that one well, uh, my math five months. Oh, yeah and nine so, years. so we are four months i guess so we're part of a, a group chat where we ask questions share advice and interestingly kyle jeremy and and chris vanderveen are are beyond the age of that wisdom because they're seasoned compared to us newbies um but yeah there's there's a lot of us at the station uh, it almost feels like it's a prerequisite to work at the station, but it's just coincidental that we all had kids around the same time. And we glean off each other, off Kyle and off Vanderveen, who's who's way ahead of the game for us. Um, 
almost double digits, if not already double digits, with his daughter. So there's I a know, lot but to learn, do, you, do any of you dudes have any boys? Uh, yeah, among the group that just had kids, um, there is the uh, producer Jen and my our web producer Aaron. They both had boys, but no on him. I'm just say, I'm seeing a pattern, and everybody sees <laughs> nine news. And the reason I'm talking about it is because just before I came in to do this nighttime interview, I caught up with what's happening in Colorado by next on my DVR. I watch it every night to catch up. I count on you guys. If something big is happening, you're going to cover it. I think the whole community does. How does that feel? It's really awesome. The undertaking is great that you know that people expect that the big news story of the day is probably something that they're expecting or will see from us. Uh, so that that's it's it's great to know that we're it's not just that, that you're expecting to see it from us, but you know that we're in tune with what's happening and what you need to know about. And so that's pretty neat that we have this connection with the community. Uh, and some of it is engaged from feedback we get from them. I can't tell you how many stories I've done over the last six and a half years at Channel 9 that have been inspired or a direct result of an email or phone call from a viewer. Holy cow, yes. And I just found out that Suzanne Morphew's body was recovered when I tuned in to Next. We're doing this uh, early in the week because we're so busy with the Colorado Sunfest and you're moderating debates. I really appreciate it. But my gosh, I was just driving from Flagstaff to Denver, right through that area of Sawash County. How often do I go there? Poncha Pass. And I've been following that case. That's a doozy. And uh, are you covering that too? Is that part of your beat? That's been uh, Mark Salinger's beat primarily. And being in the newsroom, when this news broke, I overheard it from the assignment desk. It was uh, Melissa who just said, oh my God. And it's like, what? What? They found her. And I'm like, what email is she reading? What tweet is she seeing? And it was this email release from the CBI, Suzanne Morphew, right there. And what I, my I, he should tell the story himself, but Mark Salinger called uh, Barry Morphew's attorney. Iris Seaton or Drew Nielsen, do you know? I don't know. I don't know. I just, but the story that he's reading. Probably to the, Iris. Anyway, and yeah, go ahead. He said this tonight on Next, but he's, he calls him and says, I, I think the response was, hey, Mark, <laughs> what can I do for you? And he's like, um, you, you don't know, do you? And it was Mark Salinger breaking the news to the attorney of Suzanne Morphew being found. And then it's like uh, the guy's got it. Like whoever he was talking to, the lawyer had to go because uh, clearly he didn't know. So that's th those are moments in news that are few and far between. But it's neat to be uh, to hear it, to hear the buzz in the newsroom. It's been a while. And then right. to see Mark breaking news to someone who should probably know before he does, that was kind of interesting to see too. Right. And I have had podcasts on it, but just correct me if I'm wrong. It was three years ago, Mother's Day, beautiful Suzanne Morphew, mother, wife, disappears. She was out on a bike ride. Her bike was recovered. Her husband said he left on Mother's Day to do a job in the Denver area that he was seen discarding all sorts of stuff. He got charged with first-degree murder. There's a DA out there named Linda Stanley who said, I'm going to convict you, Barry Morphew. It was a bit of an internet sensation, still is. A lot of crime 
podcast covered it because Linda Stanley made herself available until all of a sudden she didn't turn over evidence and then the case got dismissed. And I heard Scott Robinson, my buddy on Nine News, he's been a frequent guest. Uh, God, what a great guy Scott is. He said that there will be no problems refiling the case, but I don't know for sure because part of the reason it got dismissed were the discovery violations, but Scott's probably right. Until you swear a jury in, jeopardy does not attach. But you're the political guy, Marshall. I know you've got that big beat. Have you followed that? Linda Stanley, the DA in that judicial district, it's kind of a MAGA war down there and the most MAGA DA wins, but they're not necessarily competent. At least Morpheus attorneys have made all sorts of allegations against Linda Stanley. Has that come on your radar? Not as closely as Mark, because he's been the reporter of record. So I've let him do that. I know the ancillary stuff. I've seen enough, but I haven't dug into it myself. Uh, I kind of learned from Scott Robinson today because one of my questions was, wait a minute, does this mean he can, if there is more evidence to charge more few, very more few, if there is, would that be allowed? And I learned that today, that double jeopardy hasn't, uh, doesn't apply yet, that if there is evidence, he could be charged and we go through this all over again. I, I know you don't need remains or a body to be able to prove murder, but this is, this is evidence that probably is going to reveal more evidence that will lead us to a potential suspect again. Right. The magic moment comes when the jury is sworn in. That's when okay. Jeopardy attaches. So hey, have you ever gone through Sawash County? Every time I drive through, I say, wow, this is Colorado, man. It's kind of like Park County. It's a big flat area, I guess. Somewhere there below Poncha Pass is where she was found. You're an Aurora native. Do you get out and around to all these parts of Colorado much? I used to, as a, as a nightside general assignment reporter, when I was working in Colorado Springs, I'd get to a lot of places in Southern Colorado because whatever was news of the day is where we go. I don't get out as much as I used to. And I think the only time I've really ever been to watch is when I'm trying to get somewhere else, I go through it. Right. But you've probably done Poncha Pass a lot because Salida, Colorado Springs, that's kind of your mountain town, right? Buena Vista, the 24 goes right there too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a while since we went to Salida. If I'm remembering correct, correctly, me and my wife went to Salida on the way to Telluride on a really weird, I needed to get out of the metro area during an October, late October election cycle, right ahead of the election. I was getting so stressed out. We left on a Friday morning got to Telluride Friday night, stayed Saturday, woke up Sunday morning, hung out briefly and drove back. But it was just, the drive was what, 12 hours round trip basically. And it was just enough to de-stress me. Uh, and I believe some of that was through Salida and we hung out for lunch for a while. All right, now as an Aurora kid, what was the most important uh, thoroughfares for you? What were the major streets? Uh, Mississippi, Alameda, Chambers and Buckley were basically our square. All right. What about Havana? Aren't you leaving Havana out or is that too far I, west? <laughs> no, we got to Havana. My mom would go to Jocelyn's a lot at Buckingham Square and she yes. would take us on school nights. So that would take us. We wouldn't actually ever get to Havana because we'd be coming from uh, by the Aurora Mall. So we'd come down um, Mississippi right. and not quite hit Havana. So we kind of never really got to it. All right. The reason I wanted to bring Havana up, and I think the, the 
the street that links Denver and Aurora, in my mind, and I grew up here too, but on the Denver side, the way Havana turns into Hamden. Isn't that kind of yeah. cool? And and right I, around Kennedy Golf Course. I'm old enough to remember when that thing got built, Kennedy, and that was where we practiced at GW on the golf team. So the fact that Havana curves into Hamden, which is State Highway 285, which is exactly the road you can take almost all the way to Salida, Poncha Springs. You just start taking 285 and you're slicing up the Colorado Trail. Look at you coming full circle with that. People are like, what's he talking about Havana and Aurora for? What's that have to do with the story about the Morphew uh, discovery today? And look at you coming full circle to make that connection. Yes, but don't you think that's a cool street when one street turns into another and into a different city and you're going about 45 miles an hour around a curb? I just think that's interesting planning. But so Aurora was your thing. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm talking too far west for you, but do you uh, do you take a lot of pride? Do you think it matters? I mean, do you puff out your chest and say, "Hey, Jeremy, you're from where the valley? Okay, you, you people been here a long time, but not in Metro Denver, Kyle, Western New York. Yeah, you like it here now, but I'm a native. Do you wear that on your sleeve? Because I do. Absolutely, but I feel like I'm an Aurora apologist that I have to defend being from aurora as like that's that's like not something to be ashamed of or like gross about uh so i i'm an aurora apologist uh i grew up on one side of aurora but went to high school in southeast aurora and now i'm like mike mcdaniels went to my high school a year behind me and smoky hill will now forever be known as the place where that guy who rolled the broncos went to I know, but that was a historic beatdown. Should he have gone for the record? Uh, I appreciate his reasoning for not doing it. So, not, like, no, it's, it's only, he's right, it's karma. It's only going to work against you. I guess if it happened naturally, sure, but by then, it's okay to take a knee. But if they, like, had run a play and the Broncos' defense, again, couldn't stop them, that's really not on, on okay, Miami. Now, now, long before you were born, in 1972... Out of the AFL, the Miami Dolphins emerged. They had Shula as a coach. They went perfect because they never let up, and they set a record still not obtained. Why not set the record? If they, It's like Channel 9. You guys have been successful so long. But say you had an opportunity to set the all-time major city record for beating the competition. <laughs> would you guys go for it, or would you say no? Let's let's give the Channel 7 and Channel 4, let's throw them a bone. Just think of when you're talking about from the football standpoint, what people are talking about from Miami, Denver. I don't know why I'm defending Miami as a Broncos fan, but we're because talking about- Because an Aurora guy, because uh, your Aurora <laughs> loyalty overtakes your Broncos loyalty right there. But he, we're talking about him being gracious in- something where it was very easy and right there for you to be memorialized forever. But if you do it, you will be vilified as much as you are congratulated. And so it's the higher road that you're still getting all the accolades for plus some more positivity versus all the accolades and a bunch of negativity for being that guy that that piled on when you didn't need to. 
Okay, that's the coach. What about the offensive tackle who wanted to tell his kid, hey, I was on the team that set the record. It's not a good story where you say, well, we could have set the record, but the coach wanted to be uh, celebrated by Marshall Zellinger, and uh, he didn't go for it. He, he, he called us off. We could have scored 90, 80 for sure. He called us off at 70. Anyway, if I'm, if I'm the offensive lineman, I should have blocked better on the third down play to get my running back to the end zone. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I understand. It's a good debate. And talk about beatdowns. And thank God I did not go to Oregon like you and I talked at synagogue. I, might, I, I was crazy for a moment. And then I realized that Oregon's far away. I won't get a slice <laughs> down to yeah. Hamden. I won't get to go through Slida. And so... I, I didn't, an audible, but uh, we were so excited about Dion. We still are, but uh, the bloom is off the rose. My bet for them to win the national championship is stupid, even at 600 to one, whatever it was. But Marshall, you got worked up about CU now, didn't you? And are you still worked up? What about this past weekend or just in general? I mean, how excited did you get when they first beat TCU? I mean, you were parading it on all your telecasts. You were wearing Buffalo stuff. Tell everybody where your relationship with CU and why you uh, celebrate their victories. Well, as a graduate, first of all, a graduate of the then journalism school, uh, 2002, my senior year, we went to the Fiesta Bowl, ironically, against Oregon. Uh, that was the last year they were they were significantly good. They were ranked third in the nation. And I, I got to go back and figure this out. I was an intern in the Nine News Sports Department at the time. But because of the way the BCS worked, like Houston lost to like Sam Houston. I don't know. Some weird Houston lost to Hawaii or whatever it was. It kept Colorado from being ranked second overall in the BCS. And it allowed Nebraska number two didn't even win the Big 12 at all, or didn't make the Big 12 championship game, let alone win the Big 12. And it was Miami, Nebraska, and the national championship. Meanwhile, CU, which upset Texas in the Big 12 championship game, ended up third ranked overall and then got rolled by Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. I digress. So my connection to CU is being a graduate. My dad and my grandfather both graduates. My grandmother on my dad's side also went to CU, stayed at Sewell Hall, um, perhaps one of the first classes at Sewell Hall. So um, I am, I do love wearing my CU hat around. I need to get more CU garb. Um, and I was really excited after the TCU game. I, I was suspicious about whether or not we were going to find out that Coach Prime brought prime players here that were going to be studs and, and coalesce and be awesome. Or we were going to find out perhaps he was no better than like a D2 coach. But it's really the energy and the, what he brings and the people that want to be around him is what matters right now. And that's what's bringing CU back to prevalence and hopefully bowl games. Holy cow. Talk about energy. When I talked about your buffs and what happened to them in the Fiesta Bowl and how they got screwed along the way, how did you get down to the Fiesta Bowl? Did you run with that kind of energy? I mean, you're a runner too. <laughs> I was not a runner back then. I was a completely different person. Uh, I have an uncle on my mom's side. My mom's brother lives in Phoenix. And so me, my dad, and my mom, my sister, did, who's a DU graduate, did not want to go. We, or maybe she wasn't feeling well. Maybe a little of both. We went and drove. Nice. We are, 
down to Hamden. Hour drive. Tell me you took two eighty five. Havana to Hamden. Yes. Eventually through Albuquerque, Flagstaff. No, and we no, were in that's the I twenty five way. That's a different way to go. You got to take Wolf Creek Pass next time. Anyway, uh, what a trip! That's so cool. And gosh, I have a boy in CU right now, and it's exciting. What do you think of Deion Sanders? Uh, it transcends sports, really. It's uh, he's making a statement. And I think it's a good one. What do you think? I've never met him, never talked with him. But I think, like I said, he, he's motivating for sure. Um, so if that resonates with the people, it's it's like, do you want to work for your boss? Does your boss motivate you? I've had bosses that I loved. I've had bosses that I'm like, that have come along the way uh, that I didn't sign up to work for, but just happened to be there when I was already an employee that I'm like, I, this person doesn't motivate me. So from that standpoint, I appreciate what he's bringing because it's clear that the people that come here want to be around that and want to succeed versus simply just, I, you know, I don't know what it was prior uh, with, with the several coaches before him, but like what, was it CU just, it was pretty and I'm not great at football or I'm really good at football, but my coach isn't motivating. So I'm, I'm not going to be that good on the field. I, I'd like to think that every coach we've had can has that same kind of aura around him that coach prime brings and just blatantly shows everybody. Uh, but I appreciate the energy that he's bringing. Have you been around many great coaches in athletics, either covered them or I don't know, just gotten to know them. One CU guy who comes to mind for me is Irv Brown, who is a great coach oh, yeah. of baseball. Did you know Irv at all? I was not only as a call-in to, to his show. Uh, that's as close, I think, as I ever really got to him. Oh, my dad Irvin, was Irvin his, Yeah, my dad was his coach on the West Side. That's my native stuff. But he loved my dad as a coach, would talk about it, and I'd get to sit with him occasionally at Rockies games. And I, I said, well, what was it about my dad that, that you liked as a coach? He said he was a great motivator. I mean, isn't that really what coaching or being a boss is all about? And Sure. But, and yeah, go ahead. I'll tell you who I was around, Sealberry. Sealberry was the CU women's basketball coach when I was at CU, and she was so successful for the same reasons. That she, I mean, she wasn't didn't have a camera in her face all the time like Coach Prime, but she certainly got the the players around that she, she that she brought to CU to uh, coalesce together and want to play hard for her. So she definitely is probably my time at CU was the one coach that stood out. Yeah, she's a legend, Seal Berry. What a great winner! How was it that you got to know her? Or I covered, watch her? so th yes. through the journalism school. I covered my favorite teams to cover and also do play-by-play -play for local channel 54 in boulder were the sea women's basketball team and cu women's volleyball um but i also uh knew cammy carmen who was the center on the sea women's basketball team maybe she was a forward uh we worked together at channel seven later in life and her right. dad was my high school geometry teacher so that's kind of how i knew her because i saw him in the stands i'm like wait a minute i know you because he used to talk about you in school and then we formed a friendship and she was in the j school and so all all reasons right there and and and, and the women's basketball team was better than the men's basketball team when i was a student in the late 90s 
Oh my God, now I have a shameful admission that when I was playing at Colorado College, the women were doing better than the men. And it got to the point where we had to play before them a couple of times on a Saturday <laughs> night I, because they I, had bigger crowds. Yeah, they, they the headliners went, Oh, you're bringing up bad memories. And that was on small college. But CU and Sealberry, that's a great one. What do you think she did that motivated the the women to try to achieve, you know, everything they could for the team and for her? I really don't know. I, I don't think I'm privy to that. I can tell you what she didn't do. She didn't do like Bob Knight type tactics. Mm-hmm. That's all. Maybe it's just the opposite of that is good. Right. And Dion shows that love to his kids and, that's what I want to ask you. Don't you think there's an element of coaching to being a parent? And are are you good at it? It's kind of learning on the fly. I bet you had great role models, but is it different than you thought it was going to be? Absolutely. I had no idea what I thought it was going to be, but it takes a lot more energy and attention than I think I thought it was going to require. Um, I'm definitely learning on the fly. I'm learning so much from my wife, who spends the majority of time with our daughter. I get uh, dad duty in the mornings before work until about 10 o'clock. And then I, I may overlap with our daycare during the day for a short period of time. And then I'm at work until 6.30, 7, 7.30, depending on the day. And sometimes I get home and she's already getting ready for bed and I don't interfere to excite her. Uh, other times I get home early enough where I get to see her again. But my wife is the one that's guiding me along the way. What about those four-hour runs you used to go on? Are that is that done? <laughs> um, I, they're infrequent. They're not four hours. They're in my my thirty-five minute or sixty-minute runs are f- less frequent. However, I've got the Cadillac of running strollers, but I haven't taken her out on a run as often as I would like. I've only done maybe a handful of runs. Uh, I should be more motivated in the morning, but now it's getting chillier. So even if I ran with her in the morning, she'd get a breeze in her face and it's probably not the best thing. I know. And we can't just keep talking about babies, but maybe we can. Let's talk about politics and Lauren Boebert. Okay, boy, you had another beauty on her in the late night speeches she's giving. Next, help lead the field when it came to the Boebert coverage. Although the Colorado Sun... My home paper did a great job, too. They got the incident report, but that was a big story nationally, and a lot of it flowed out of the footage that Nine News hustled and obtained. Why don't you brag about that? Well, it started with a couple tips on a Monday where we got third hand, hey, I heard Congresswoman Boebert got kicked out of a musical over the weekend. And interestingly, me and my wife went on Saturday had we gone on on Sunday when this happened, perhaps I would have seen it from where we were sitting and I wouldn't have had to take a day and a half to try to confirm it. But I finally got it confirmed Tuesday afternoon, but I was up in Lyons working. We were going to go live with a 10-year anniversary, 10-year mm-hmm. flood anniversary story. And we had put in a request the night before for security video from the city. And once we got it confirmed through two sources, we were going to go with it but we wanted to wait for the video at that point. Then the Denver Post did a push alert, probably like four or 4.30 and they had it. So we, I wrote up my story and then we added the video later that evening when we got it. But the video was only her getting escorted out and then the hallway video. So the next day I put in a request for, okay, we saw her get escorted out, but let's see 
uh, does her story and her, her campaign story match or does the incident report from the security match? So I put in a request for the security video. It took another day to get that. And then that's the video that's kind of gone bonkers where you can see the behavior during the musical. Uh, and it was one thing to see her taken out, but then it's like, okay, we've heard two stories. We've seen this video of her walking out, but we really don't know what she did. And someone's telling the truth and someone's not telling the truth. So let's see it. And so that's why we put in the request for the other video. I will say there's, there's probably hundreds of people, if not more that are like, Oh my gosh, a place like the DCPA has security cameras that can show that quality. That's a, I had no idea. I'm going to have to change my behaviors because if they caught her doing that, they're going to see me eating my uh, uh, milky duds or sneaking in my shooter or something. Oh, your shooter and milky duds. That's some weird references because uh, I know because it's milk duds. I don't know. Why I know I said because duds. I'm thinking about that guy who was her date. And when I saw that footage, you uh, produced. And thanks to you, Marshall Zellinger, and you wonder why Nine News is winning. These other stations could have gotten it, and they didn't. Marshall got it. And I think I tweeted out once I saw it, is that guy dating her or milking her? Because he was, he was stroking her breast with her approval because you could see that she guided his hand there. And that's why I wondered when you said milky duds. And then what else did you say? Oh, my uh, God. I didn't even mean that. I just didn't say the candy. I wanted to say gobstoppers. But no, no. And then what was the next candy you referenced? Because that was a No, doozy. I said shooter. I said shooter. If it's a, a shooter, shooter. Isn't that the name of a restaurant? Shooters? The one that got closed yeah. down for health violations? I wish I could take credit for being as clever and witty as I seem to have been. I want to say uh, I need to give credit to Cole Sullivan, who put in the request and helped uh, look through the guidance of whether or not the city would have access to security or whether the nonprofit that is the DCPA would be in control of that. But it's the city arts and venues uh, division that or department that had that access to the video and is re and is responsible for that video. So a uh, nine news reporter, Cole Sullivan helped get that first video of getting her, her getting escorted out. Uh, and then, then we requested that second video. So, um, I'm not as witty as you give me credit for. I, I almost want to take credit for it though, but it's, did, did you opinion. call her for a comment and you could have probably gotten an interview with her. What, what's your relationship like? Uh, it's pretty much all email, either the campaign media requests email or sorry not the campaign the con the office the congresswoman's office media email and rarely if ever we'll get a response but now i have contact with the campaign spokesperson and it didn't even occur to me to reach out to the campaign when asking a question about congresswoman lauren bober instead of candidate lauren bober but it was the campaign that ultimately gave us information and that why don't you? Why don't different. you have? You don't have uh, Lauren's cell phone number. No, I don't. Uh, I guess when I the very first time I saw her, I was covering that uh, Beto O'Rourke news conference outside Aurora City Hall, uh, where she showed up and made a name for herself by asking a question and ultimately saying, "You're not going to take our guns." It was when Beto was running for right. um, uh, president, 
and that was her first appearance. And then from there, she was, she was, I, sh I should have gone up and been like, Hey, I'd like to talk with you later. What's your cell phone number? Uh, that would have been the moment. Yeah, but you could probably get it from various radio hosts in town. They have her on regularly. In fact, they all endorsed her. But you have a special in. If you could contact her, you know why she wants to talk to you now? Because why would she you, want to talk to you now? Because you could tell her the ending of Beetlejuice. That's what she keeps saying she wants. Um, I guess I do have that knowledge, yeah. Well, and, she, and she, she even told TMZ if somebody could please tell her the ending, like... She was just not having two hands on a guy's genitals during the show. Anyway, um, was it a good ending? Oh no, that's that's another bad context for me to. Yeah, I think we should about. probably just let's cut move it, on. Cut let's go to let's go on to Ken Buck. Okay, is that guy okay. trying to get your job? I know he he says he wants CNN or what did he say? One American Nation, but. Have you ever thought that he might want to be the politics guy in Nine News? I can if he can be unbiased, down the middle, uh, make hard to understand topics easy to follow and bite sized Then he would have qualifications for that. I don't know if that's what he's seeking from a media job, um, and that's certainly not his expertise to come in and be unbiased when he has, a, you know, as a Republican, he would want to take a position on something. So I All think right. my role might be safe. Yeah. yeah. What about those Republicans on CNN? You know, that one guy who was an aide to Mitch McConnell a long time ago, Scott, somebody, I don't know. But Buck seems to openly admit he wants a broadcasting job. Was that surprising to you? Yeah, kind of. I, I know I haven't had much interaction with him lately. Uh, he, but when, when we spoke, he seemed pretty open and receptive to all the questions. There was one time where I was with former Nine News political guy, Brandon Ritterman, where we were in Washington, D.C. for an awards ceremony, and he was not responding to requests uh, for months to Channel 9. I had just gotten to Channel 9 at the time. And so we're like, well, we're going to be in Washington, D.C. for this awards ceremony. We should probably pop by the capital and go by his office and just talk with him and so we hung out in the hallway and ended up doing an unscheduled elevator interview with him so that wasn't something where he showed like media savvy necessarily um but yeah i mean i think his role as a republican uh with a perspective against at least in colorado you know the fringe republicans or like the really insider republican party that seem to be taking control of the Colorado Republican Party. As someone who opposes that view, he has a lane to give perspective. Um, nationally, it's I don't know. Nationally, I guess there's always an appetite for that because it's happening nationally too, where it's like you've got the Trump Republicans and then you've got the traditional Republicans. And I feel like Ken Buck is more traditional or falls somewhere in between and can give perspective of within the Republican Party. I don't know what's going on. I think he's confused. He got a divorce when he was, what, in his 50s? Don't do that, by the way. Uh, I'm just giving you advice as an older man. And he's out there searching. And he signed on to that Ken Paxton brief to the Supreme Court. I said, Ken, what the hell? I used to play basketball against him. He was a Weld County prosecutor. Then he worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office. Bill Ritter was good friends with him. Talk about an Aurora guy, Bill Ritter. Anyway... 
I just was disappointed with Ken Buck, but he's starting to realize that as wacky as Ken Paxton is, maybe even Dave Williams, the head of the Colorado Republicans, is even further gone. I don't know. You probably interacted with Dave Williams more than I have. What's going on with the Colorado Republican Party right now? I, I, they, they, has the kindest way to say it, I guess, is they just don't want people from the outside infiltrating what they think is rightfully theirs uh, from, from a Republican Party standpoint. Um, meaning, no, or, 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 from, or from the way they look at America, too. It's rightfully there. Yeah. Say, yeah, keep going. It, I, I was trying to come up with an analogy thinking we might talk about this. Um, and I never landed on one. But basically, I mean, everybody knows like Dave Williams and the Republican Party are trying to keep unaffiliated from having a say in who they can elect or put on the ballot for people to choose between the Republican, the Democrat, and anybody else who ends up qualifying for a general election ballot. But We've seen enough evidence in Colorado where it feels like you are just digging a bigger hole for yourself to go down that path when the largest electorate is unaffiliated and ultimately they're going to have a say in the general election. So if you create the um, option to only provide a candidate that's that you don't want them to have a say in early in the primary it's likely you're picking a candidate that's going to turn them off in the general election. And so at some point, I think the, the Republican Party has to have a moment where they say, how much are we going to dig our heels in the sand and how much are we going to adapt to what the electorate wants? Because maybe they don't like the Democratic, the Democrats that are in charge, or maybe they don't like Governor Jared Polis, as much as you may think they do, if we can create some some policy or a person that is the person you can attach yourself to that isn't the far extreme right, but is an alternative to what is currently in charge, you probably have a better chance at winning elections. And the way you can change what is policy and who's in power is by winning elections. Right. But they'd rather keep the club insular. And if you want to know what direction they're going, it's like at Heidi Ganahl, who lost the governor's race. She was a guest of mine. I had the only podcast where Jared Polis was on and Heidi Ganahl, same episode, not at the same time. But I thought it was good. And I've known Heidi for a while, and she seems semi-normal. But since she's lost, she's off the deep end. And she gave a speech the other day blaming Kyle Clark, right? She's got this victimization attitude, which seems to carry the day. That Nine News is the enemy, the lamestream media, anybody who's against Donald Trump. And they just think that we're the idiots, right? And uh, talk about Heidi Ganahl. And haven't you been surprised that she's gone off the deep end? My words, not yours. Go ahead. Your your words. Yes. Um, it goes to what I just said. It's surprising to me. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to take people away from their convictions, but it's surprising to me that if the end of the game is getting 50% plus one, that you wouldn't come up with a way to present yourself that is attractive to 50% plus one without compromising your values and your ideals. 
And I just feel like the candidate, let's, Pam Anderson is a perfect example. She is someone that you would think could appeal to 50% plus one, uh, but, it, but the people that are in her party push voters the opposite direction. And you're almost guilty by association because of the voice and the, and the tout that some of the far extremists have that it pulls the entire party down. So what's surprising is that you don't have more prominent candidates not meeting people in the middle, but trying to meet voters closer to where they are than, again, digging your heels and saying, this is me. This is what I want the state to be. Come here to me instead of me adapting to the majority of you. Yeah, but the other gravitational pull is MAGA. And MAGA is pulling them harder than even trying to win elections. I think they're part of a cult, and cults do not end well. Somehow the GOP, as we knew it, as I studied it all my life, it seems to be gone, and it's a darn shame for democracy. And it's a shame because it doesn't make Jared Polis any better. And if anybody watches Nine News all the time, and I do— you can see Marshall Zellinger expose the vulnerabilities of Jared Polis, not just this Prop HH, but let's start with that uh, preschool rollout. I mean, you guys are young fathers. You're paying attention. Don't you think Jared Polis has had some vulnerabilities lately? This is a perfect example of one of them. I remember my first story, and I, I wasn't the first. I know Chalkbeat via Colorado Sun also. Uh, and I'm not sure, it, I'll say Chalkbeat for sure was on this from the start. Uh, I believe it was early August. I got, we got an email at probably about 2.30 in the afternoon and our newscast is at six. And I had a story that I just wasn't sold on and I wasn't making good progress on it. And so I followed up. I'm like, I'm going to follow up with this email. It was from a parent in Adams 12 in Thornton who said, I was supposed to get full day kid, uh, preschool for my kid. And I just found out uh, a week before school that I don't have that funding from the state. And so I reached out to him. We did a quick Zoom interview. And that night, within three and a half hours, we had our first story on the air about uh, parents who thought they were getting full day preschool from the big promise of Governor Jared Polis that suddenly weren't getting what they thought they were supposed to get. Again, credit to Chalkbeat for having that story. I feel like a few days, maybe one or two days ahead of time. Um, so then from there, you hear from other parents. And then I went back and watched the um, inauguration speech from the governor and his state of the state speech. And it's like you mentioned these as your cornerstones. This is your big thing that you must now answer for. And so we stayed on that story with different angles. First, it was the parents. Then it was how many parents. Then it's the providers. What's the issue with the providers? And it's the school district saying kids are showing up and they're not really registered. Then it's finally an interview with the governor. And then it's this lawsuit against the governor and or against the, the program. So like it just spun out of control uh, in a way that not I shouldn't say out of control. It just spun out so that there's so many different angles to cover that they're all different but unique to the situation of the one big promise from the governor, which is universal preschool. And so. Great. He's going to tell, and I gave him the opportunity in our one-on-one. -on -one, one -on -one. It's positive that you have record number of preschoolers matched and enrolled. Own that, sure. But you also have 
countless examples of people that are now harmed by the way this rolled out. Let's talk about that. And so, I mean, it depends. If you're a supporter of someone, maybe you don't care about any of those stories. And it's like, I like the person. You're never going to say anything that's going to turn me off. But then if you have voters out there, not that he's up for election again, but if you have voters out there that are like, hang on a second, you're right. There was this promise. This didn't look right. You should be asking these tough questions. And and I may make a future decision based on what I've now learned. That's the importance of what we do. And for the people that write in constantly thinking that we only attack one side or only investigate in like certain people or a certain political party, that's just not true. I, I can only work with the tips that I get. And it was very convenient that at a, on a day and a time when I didn't have a good story, I get this email, I followed up on it, and boom, suddenly we've got repetitive stories going after the governor and his key promise. I'll tell you what, I was in the belly of the beast, so to speak, talk radio. It wasn't that bad until Trump got there, but now it's awful. And the way they attacked Jared Polis, but they never turn up any news stories against them. The people who do, Nine News, you guys have been on him over and over, not unfairly, but when there's, you know, if I were Governor Polis, I'd be most worried about Marshall Zellinger because these other guys, all they do is call names. You know what I'm saying? But you, you're really doing the investigative work and following the leads. And hell yes, you guys are not afraid to criticize Jared Polis, and he knows it. Do you get feedback from him? Is there pushback, or has he grown up enough to accept it? I never hear anything from him directly. He will, when, when, I, when there's a one-on-one or there's a news conference, we've gotten into the habit where he will come up to me at the end and continue the conversation uh, it's really interesting. After news conferences, I'll ask a question, and then he'll come over when the news conference is done to elaborate more. And his handlers, his communication staff, you can tell they're trying to pull him away. And I've gotten into the habit now of saying to his people, I'm like, just look, another time he's come up to me that I haven't I haven't asked for this. He just comes up to me. Uh, but it's never like critiquing anything that we've talked about. It's just trying to educate more. I will say something that... Um, I don't think is helpful is sometimes we'll ask questions and in an email response from his team, we'll get a short answer and also, hey, you should reach out to this person and this person and this person as as character witnesses. And I feel there's a difference between being a spokesperson for a government agency or for the governor and providing positive PR at all times, communications and PR are two different things. And I'm not a communications major. I'm a journalism major, not a PR major. Maybe there's someone that hears this and says, Marshall, you're full of it. But communications is providing, to me, is providing information asked and getting the best information based on what is being asked about. Uh, PR is I'm going to tell you the positives to make my client, my boss, my whoever look good at all times. I wish I could go back to journalism school. I wonder what they teach. Do they teach you how to ask questions at a press conference? Uh, yeah, I think not to the extent where I do it now. I will say I wanted to be a sports reporter and a sports anchor and a play-by-play person. So if we did get taught that, I probably didn't. Uh, what is your What is much. your technique to get called on? Do you just butt ahead? Do you use your voice? Do you? How do you do it? Wait, how to to to, to what? Yeah. I mean, to, to get recognized at a press conference. Say, 
I've been at Broncos press conference. Sometimes it's more organized, but a lot of times it's kind of a free-for-all. What are your tactics? If it's a story I've covered extensively or maybe I've led on, I will try to just be the first voice out there. Other times I'll raise my hand. Sometimes I purposefully wait or I'll encourage someone else to go ahead. Um, I tend to be friendlier about it uh, unless it's a story that I've owned and want to be like, like I, we can go back seven years to the John Kaiser thing. If I was at a news conference and John Kaiser was there, I was damn well going to be the first person speaking <laughs> up. Uh, but if it's, if I'm going to the gov, if let's say I wanted to go ask the governor something about preschool and I see Anne from Chalkbeat there, I would probably defer to her to go first since that was her coverage. Or if it's, you know, if it's Excel related, I would want to be the first. But if it's energy related in general, and I see Sam Brash from CPR there, I'm going to let Sam be the first because that's the stuff he nice. covers on a daily basis. Nice. And and the person who determines the ownership of this story is Marshall Zellinger. And I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> now, but, but that's cool. What's the most exciting press conference you were ever at? Huh. I'll tell you mine while you're thinking, because you got me thinking about gubernatorial press conferences. And I was there when Bill Owens held the Jean Benet Ramsey press conference in the foyer of the Capitol or the Great Hall, wherever. It was amazing. And he he called me afterwards, you know, how'd I do that sort of thing. Were you even alive back then? What was that? 1997, 98. That was big. And then Barbara Walters had him on. So... See if you could top that. I was at the Peyton Manning introductory press conference, got to ask a question, and John Elway said, well, Tim Tebow, he's a good guy, and I'd like my daughter to marry a guy like that. But he's, you know, because I asked him if he was going to still be a quarterback in Denver, and that was the answer. So those are my two biggest. I bet you've been there some big ones. Well, you say exciting and mine are kind of jaw dropping, but they're sad stories. Can I bring okay. us down? Yeah. Is that okay? Can. Yeah, we're coming to an ending. You may as well. And then we're going to so, finish with Aurora and how you brought down Mike Kaufman recently. But go ahead. The the two that stand out that were jaw dropping, that they're sad. Um, one is when I was at the news conference in, um, at UCCS overlooking Garden of the Gods and the. And the um, Mount, not the Mount, Mountain Shadows Fire. What was that? That was the Waldo Canyon Fire. Oh, um, and yes. when we learned there were 343 homes destroyed, mm. that was jaw-dropping. And I just remember where I was. I was like how big the media presence was at that news conference. Um, the, the, the most surprising news conference, and again, I don't mean to bring us down. I was in Colorado Springs. The Colorado State Patrol called an impromptu news conference for later that afternoon. We had no idea what it was about. And it turned out that there was a deadly car accident over the weekend on I-25 between Colorado Springs and Pueblo. And the people who had called 911, their car had broken down, there were no lights on, uh, and another car hit that vehicle and it resulted in a death before any emergency responders arrived. This news conference was about, hey, this crash that you may not know of happened and we're here to tell you that when they called 911 the dispatcher who took who took the call never told anyone about it and they continued to watch a dvd about like they they were allowed to watch dvds overnight because this happened overnight 
and they just never dispatched anyone to respond. And so essentially they're saying there was a deadly crash that happened and maybe it could have been prevented if our dispatcher uh, or call taker had actually told someone about it instead of oh, continued no. to watch a DVD. Oh, and no. No, it, it was almost like no one may have ever found out about that, but they just admitted to it on the front end. And it just shocked us all because it's like, where did this come from? And thank you for your transparency, but how awful. And it, that stuck with me because because of the transparency, because normally it would take a tipster to let you know about something like that. And here was CSP saying, we screwed up and we're telling you how we screwed up and we're going to tell you how we're not going to let that happen again. Wow. And what happened to that dispatcher? Do you know? I don't know that they were probably got fired. dispatched. Dispatched. <laughs> I what so what happened was with not that I what they did was within what was allowed in terms of watching the DVD. It was a mistake not to dispatch, or they thought they did something. I don't know if they ever got fired or if they quit. I don't think in the end they were going to get fired as much as just reprimanded and punished in a way. But I don't know. I represented a police officer who was going through discipline for watching a small TV during his patrol duties. Mm-hmm. And, and But if you think about it now, we all do that, right, with our iPhones. Anyway, I have a new defense for him about 20 years too late. But uh, let's go back up Hamden and circle back on Havana into Aurora and uh, the mayor's office where Nine News took down the pants of your hometown mayor, Mike Kaufman. Why did you do that? You mean, why did I ask questions to the mayor? Yes. All of a sudden, there was a proposal for a stronger mayoral form of government, and you had the audacity of asking the mayor, what do you know about this, sir, and what did he tell you? Uh, Prior to, just like he told every reporter, including the Aurora Sentinel, his communication staff said the mayor will talk about it if and when it makes the ballot. And so... After it qualified for the ballot, the next day I interviewed the mayor and he admitted to being part of it from the start. And it's like best kept secret that everybody kind of knew, but why? Like what, if we're gonna find out sooner or later, why? And there was one thing that he said, I have to go back and look at the transcript of that interview, but I feel like, I know he said something about how he's in a race and that there's some sort of competitive advantage. And I don't understand like, there's there's a couple people running for mayor beside you. How is it a competitive advantage if you are the only one that knows that there may be a strong mayor proposal on the ballot? But nonetheless, that was one of the reasons. Um, I don't. I really don't know if we got into much other ground about why it was so secretive, other than he didn't want to talk about it unless it was officially a thing. But then at the end of the interview, he didn't want to tell me how much money he had contributed. He had he admitted he had contributed money and he wouldn't say how much. And I think I ended that interview with more or less, uh, more or less than $10,000. And I just picked that number out of the air. And I think that's the number that he had actually contributed. It was either 5,000 or 10,000 that I said, and I was right on the money. In every meaning of that phrase, you were right on the money. <laughs> You're good at that. And, and yet... Uh, it ended up embarrassing him, right? And and his money went for naught because they had pulled the, the whole proposal once you pulled their pants down. 
I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's perspective. You say it's embarrassing. He was just defending his position. And if you like him, you accept that. If you don't like him, you you use terms like you're using. And I know, so but what about the money? What what did it go for? Was it well spent? Didn't they end up wasting it all? Uh, if it still can make the ballot without having to collect additional signatures, I guess it's pending that maybe it was well spent. If you have to get more signatures, then, yeah, you're starting from scratch and you got to find more money. I don't understand Aurora politics. I'm from Denver, but it seems interesting and a bit of a microcosm of what's going on in America. Are you able to follow it? And they have strange party affiliations. Same with Denver. It's getting nuanced, isn't it? Well, I'm for, I don't know when this, this airs probably after I have done my candidate forum that I'm doing. Yes, we are uh, Saturday morning. Yeah, tell everybody so, your debate moderation. So I'm just participating in a forum with the um, Aurora Sentinel and with the Denver Gazette. Um, at, at, it's at Aurora, with Aurora Municipal Center. It's going to be two days before this airs, so it's Thursday. Uh, I'm trying to write questions as we speak. Uh, I I don't need to know much about party affiliation except when it comes to the mayor's race, because even though it's not a party affiliated race, you have two diametrically different candidates and Mike Hoffman and Juan Marcano in terms of where they are on the political scale, even though voters will not see a letter next to their name. Um, I'm not as in tune with Aurora politics in terms of city council as I probably should be, but I don't know in if that's going to be a negative as I'm trying to craft questions for this forum. I understand. And it gets in the weeds. I'm just saying when people start identifying as socialist or Marxist, this or that, it's hard for me to keep up. But I am following Mike Johnston, who was on my podcast twice, which is why he won. He's very accessible to me. How about to you? And how do you think he's doing in his first 100 days? Did you say Johnston? Yes, Mr. Michael Johnston. Sorry, I thought you still, still said Kaufman. Um, he, he's, he, he's accessible. His people are. Uh, he has frequent news conferences around his homelessness initiatives and policies, which allow us to ask about anything. I had a follow-up question for him after one of his first news conferences that related to Denver Public Schools and a text message he had sent the superintendent about the McAuliffe principle. And he like his people allowed me to hang back. They brought him back in. I did a, a couple more questions specifically about that. So I didn't have to do it in front of everybody else. Uh, his people seem to be responsive. I guess it depends on the day or the reporter. But for me, uh, I'm, I'm getting answers I need as I need them. All right. We had a largely upbeat interview. You tried to bring us down a little bit with that sad dispatcher story, but it really didn't work because we're going to end on a high note. And I noticed the pride that you expressed in your family lineage at old CU, right? Shoulder to shoulder. And now you have a child. I've got a little buff. I went to CU Law School, but I don't go way back like your family. Is there pressure on your daughter to go to Boulder? No, and we've already opened up our 529 account. Good. So assuming we manage that correctly, we'll be in good position to allow her to explore. I learned, I will interrupt my own thought. I learned that schools like DU can actually be cheaper than public schools 
And I for, I think it was a 529 story that I was working on that I learned that, that there are uh, scholarship opportunities that really lower the cost of a private school. And so I, I look forward to being the dad, not, not necessarily visiting private schools, but visiting all schools and going across the country to see what might be uh, the place for her. However, I'm sure by the time it's co uh, college time for her, just like my wife will feel, I will feel like if you go farther than 10 miles, it is too far. And she was just right. You can come home when you miss the dogs and mom and dad. It's perfect. I'm lucky to have a boy there, but give them the freedom. And a lot of times they'll go away for a year, but they'll come right back. Have you ever lived outside of Colorado? I My first uh, news job was in Chico, California, Northern California, and I was gone for one year. And then I came back to Colorado Springs, so I was only gone for one year of my life. I left for one year, too, and I came back to Colorado Springs, Colorado College. And when I was out of uh, state, and probably when you were in Chico, California, people said, wait, you're from Colorado? What are you doing here? And I know by the end of one year back east, trying to be a basketball player, I said, what am I doing out here? I'm going back to Colorado. <laughs> Sounds like the same with you. Yeah, plus Northern California and particularly Chico in the summertime, it's 100 degrees and no clouds for like four months. So give me give me Colorado's weather any, any day. Well, let me tell you, Marshall, you've given me a great hour for my podcast. Thank you, friend. And uh, I I just can tell everybody I saw you your baby made, I don't know, just a little gurgle, and you got up, and you rocked your baby. You tucked the baby out, and she started singing. I mean, I could just see the love that you have, and it shines through, my friend, and I can tell what joy you take in being a father, and it's the greatest job in the world, so way to go. Thanks a lot for doing the show, Marshall. Sure thing. Thanks, Greg. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? 
best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, I told you this show would be great, and I believe we delivered. Marshall Zellinger, thank you very much. You're a great new daddy. That's your biggest job, mine too. But we have to save this country for our children. Dave Gunders is one heck of a father, and what a musician. Have mercy. Gosh, that's good. Paul Simon-like music. Please check out my column in the Colorado Sun. Thank you for listening. Again, tell a friend, five stars, Apple, appreciate it. Thank you. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.